This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, as well as in the evening on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Wednesday. Good to be with you today. Stein joining us here in about 30 minutes to talk politics. Brett is in here today. Hey, Brett, how are we today? I'm good. How about you? All right. Did you catch any of the uh, ceremony for the two fallen officers and the fallen first uh, responder uh, that uh, had been going on today. It's been live streamed for the people in Chicago. This is the shooting that happened in Burnsville. Uh, they've had a very large um, uh, church service for them, and uh, there's now a. Uh, they are now moving from uh, the suburb of Eden Prairie down to Burnsville uh, for the remainder of the ceremony of the for the day. Have you seen any of that today? I haven't had a chance to yet. It is very moving, um, and and yeah, uh, very tough. As uh, and, and I'll talk more about this in the four o'clock hour here locally in Minneapolis, St. Paul. But it, I did want to acknowledge that because there's still a lot of. I mean, not only for the the fact that we should take a moment and and you know you know say a prayer moment of silence, whatever is best for you, but as well just also just uh, a lot of the roads are still closed in the South Metro, so just keep that in mind uh, as we go through. I think they're they're slated to be closed until four p.m. this afternoon, and I don't know if they'll lift that early if they've already. The procession has moved past, but well, obviously we'll keep an eye on that as well. Uh, I also do want to mention coming up in the four o'clock hour here, uh, we have Listener Appreciation Month here locally in MSP, and we do have a copy of Tom Hartman's new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back. That is going to be up for grabs in the four o'clock hour. We'll talk about that then. 952-946-6205. Uh, Brett, we have an answer finally to what has been you know i guess a lesser thing by far uh, under the trump administration but still it was a question that was out there do you remember melania trump's infamous i really don't care jacket oh yes i remember that you know there was a lot of people that were like okay what was that in reference to and as far as i know no one has actually verified anything about that i mean it came off she came off very callous and 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 kind of insensitive actually with the jacket, but there was a meaning there. It apparently was a personal shot at her stepdaughter, according to a new book. The former first lady wrote the olive uh, wore the olive thigh length hooded jacket with the dismissive phrase "I really don't care." Do you hand painted on the back when she visited migrant children? who had been separated from their parents. The new book, American Women, The Transformation of the Modern First Lady from Hillary Clinton to Jill Biden by Katie Rogers, reveals the message was intended for Ivanka Trump, according to excerpts published from the New York Post. The pair were locked in a quiet competition for press coverage, press coverage at the time, wrote Rogers in New York Times. White House correspondence sources said Rogers that the former First Lady was obsessed with public perception of her and often trawled Twitter to see what the press her critics and her supporters were saying about her. Uh, though directed at Ivanka, it's unclear what exactly the message scrawled on Melania's back was referring to. Reminder, she came across as being very insensitive at that time, considering what she wore the jacket to. 
Uh, she found it, it, it was, was had found it inappropriate for Ivanka Trump and her brothers, in addition to their spouses, to be so involved in the White House operations, according to the book. This actually, after another story that's come on out, where we found out that um, apparently there was some pretty big blowout fights between Trump and, and Melania while in the White House. And one in particular that was much more public, I'm kind of surprised it didn't come on out, was Trump was furious. Melania preferred CNN versus Fox. And apparently he got onto Air Force One one time and saw Melania on CNN, watching CNN, and blew a gasket and demanded from that point forward that all the TVs, the only the only TV channel that could be shown on the plane was Fox. And apparently they it led to a little bit of a kerfuffle between Melania and, and, and Trump. It does not surprise me that you have not seen. Melania is nowhere to be seen with this presidential election. She, I, I don't think she'll be in the White House. I don't think she'd. I mean, if they if they won, if they won, I don't think she'd go to the White House. I think that she's she's done with this. I don't think she wants anything to do with it. And let's face it. I mean, it was clear that when she became the first lady, that that was not on her. That was not what she wanted to do. I think she enjoyed some of the power that came with it. But come on, there was it clearly was difficult for her to be in that White House. <laughs> It, it clearly Wasn't was. there the photo of them winning in 2016, and she just looks terrified on election night? Like, oh, okay. holy crap, we actually won. What was the state dinner that <laughs> she had where she looks she looks like the saddest human being on the planet? And she's sitting right behind Donald, and she's like, like the saddest person on the planet. Yeah, no, she clearly did not. She was not a fan of being in that White House. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So I'm going to preface this. Next story. By criticizing people on the left who are giddily laughing at this. Yes, there is definitively a salacious nature to this story. I am not going to deny that. But you also need to be a bit of a... Mike Lindell, when Mike Lindell was clearly trying to make fetch happen during the post January 6, you know, you know, timeline where he was trying to desperately prove that his best buddy did not lose the election that it was it was stolen from them. It became clear at least the perception I had he had no evidence of this. He was just screaming this at the top of his lung because he kept saying he kept doing the Sasquatch show thing, the Bigfoot shows, where the Bigfoot shows, you know, have you ever watched a Bigfoot show? And the Bigfoot show, they'll say, oh, you hear some rustling. What's that in the woods? And then they go to commercial break and they come back and it was a squirrel. You know, it, it was it was always one of those things where the it, and the always the end of it is we found some hairs. We've got some voice, you know, some sound samples that we're going to get analyzed and. At the end of the show, it's like, well, the hairs ended up being a deer and the sound samples were an owl. But you never know. Next time, maybe we'll find something. And these shows have been on the air for like 10 years. And yet they have yet to produce any evidence of what they are there necessarily to produce. Now, I'm not saying there's not necessarily Sasquatch. It's just these shows are really bad at it. And there's a predictable narrative to what is going on there. It is basically, you know... (laughs) 
they don't produce a lot of information. You want to get information about Sasquatches, go listen to Greg uh, Bakken tonight at Ghost Box Radio. They actually, they actually deal with trying to find the facts. But these shows are just basically there because someone is making money and they're going to continue to do that. So needless to say, that was what Mike Lindell was. Mike Lindell was this guy who was clearly – there was no there there. And, but yet he was desperately trying to make it happen. And you could see the car crash coming. You could see – the lawsuits coming. And that's when I sat down and I said on this show, you know, Mike, you've got the, the media credentials. Get the media out there. Bring out your evidence. Show it to everybody. Because if you don't have it, then get all the media together and profusely apologize. May I even say grovel. And if you do that back in 2021, you might be able to get away with not losing everything. He didn't listen. But, you know, it is what it is. Britney Spears, of course, the, the singer, remember there was that moment where she had shaved her head and was waving umbrellas at people on the highway. And I'll never forget looking at her saying, okay, everyone is, everyone's like, oh my God, look, she's gone cray cray. You know, I'm like, okay, you do see this is a person who clearly needs help, right? Even when. Sarah Palin and her family, the former Republican nominee to be vice president of this country. She and her family got into a drunken street brawl in Wasilla, Alaska. Still, yeah, that, yeah. There was a moment after that that I said, Sarah, you need to step away from the spotlight and fix your life. Because legitimate people don't get into drunken their entire families do not get into drunken street ball brawls in the middle of the street they just they don't i say this because lauren bobert as salacious as the story is i'm going to give you some advice you need to step away resign your seat and immediately go home and take care of your family not because you have to be some betrothed housewife, but because it's clear you've got a lot of stresses here. The story. One of the conservative firebrand Lauren Boebert's uh, Colorado's sons was arrested on Tuesday on vehicle trespass and property theft charges in Rifle, Colorado. The Rifle Police Department on a Facebook post reported that the 18-year-old Tyler J. Boebert was facing four felony counts of criminal possession of identified documents one felony count of conspiracy to commit a felony and over 15 additional misdemeanor and petty offenses. Ow, man, you're going for the value pack. It's an ongoing investigation. No further information will be released at this time. The Post added, all suspects are considered innocent until educated guilty in the court of law. Funny, I don't think they put, I don't think the rifle police department put that line in there when it's, oh, I don't know, a minority uh, who's been charged with a crime. I think that uh, that they're going out of their way to help out Bobert. On the day of her son's arrest, the legislator took to Twitter to advance a far-right preoccupation costing President Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden as criminals, even though Bobert supports former President Donald Trump, who is currently facing four criminal indictments. Hunter Biden in December was hit with nine federal tax crime charges. The Biden crime family, this is a quote, the Biden crime family will go down as the most corrupt political family in American history, Bobert tweeted on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. 
only a few hours before her son was arrested. Bobert's son arrest follows a period of political and personal strain from the congresswoman. She has granted a temporary restraining over her ex-husband and the father of her four sons this month when she stated that she threatened her and entered the family's home without permission. Her ex-husband refuted her claim, arguing that she was using the restraining order to justify a recent move to a new congressional district. Um, you know, Lauren, I don't need to – I mean – you deserve a dating life and all this stuff, but you doing your human-sized Braille reading at the Beetlejuice musical is probably not the the best idea. If you think about it for two seconds, your kids probably don't need to be seeing that. And that is you just, you're there only for yourself. Clearly, your kids are not in a good place. You can always come back and run for office again. You can always do that. You only have your kids. There is no redoing this. You need to go take care of this. And I hope you do. And I hope that you, I, I never hear from you again. And everything goes well. I really do. But I don't think she will. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It is the Matt McNeil Show on your Wednesday. Good to have you with us. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. I do sincerely mean that, by the way. I do hope for the sake of her kids. I'm a parent. And one of the first things I kind of learned was that there were going to be a lot of things I needed to sacrifice if I was going to raise my kids right. And 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 I have no problem with that. As a matter of fact, I, I think becoming a father has been one of the most rewarding, challenging, frustrating, enjoyable things I've ever done in my life. I I'm getting ready. My my oldest son's gonna graduate college here this spring. I know, I know. Uh, my, my oldest daughter is now in college. I've got one left in the house and yeah, I'm kind of seeing what the horizon is. And it's interesting because I'll go out and I'll see little kids. I was at, when I was at church on, on Sunday, there was this little girl and she had the little ponytail on the very top of her head. And I was like, oh, I remember those days. It was all count. And she'd wear a little princess dress. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you. You're a real man. You have you have little girls, and you all of a sudden it's it's princess time. You're like, yay, it's princess time. You know, because it's it's just fun. I had a great time, and I enjoyed this. And you only have one trip doing this. I have been asked to if I'd be interested in running for office before. I have been asked that. I will not do that because. If you want to get into politics, there's a tendency, and then this is not, you know, absolute. I'm not going to paint with wide brush, but there is a high demand on you, and you have to do a lot of things. And you know, generally at times, considering the nature of the job you're choosing, you have to put your job ahead of your family. And frankly, I never wanted to ever do that, and so I I, I shied away from ever trying to hold office. I don't. I don't anticipate ever trying to. I enjoyed greatly being part of like the planning and zoning committee of my town and stuff, but I didn't really want to get into that because it is such a drag and you can kind of lose focus. 
if your child is now getting arrested on numerous felony charges, numerous misdemeanor charges, what are you doing? I mean, I, I can tell you that no matter, even if you were, and frankly, let's just be honest, if you, if you were you were an effective congresswoman, which you're not, Lauren, your legacy is now more tied to the failures of your son than you are of any bills that you got passed. And like I said, you can always come back to politics and you will make Lauren, you're going to make a ton of money. The, the, the This far-right grift circuit that you can get part of, I mean, it just seems like there's endless checks from people who screaming about the price of garbage, uh, uh, groceries. That they're, they're sitting there saying, I can't afford groceries. What? Donald Trump needs another $300? Here you go. <laughs> it's, it's Seriously. How much are those sneakers? I'll get 12 pairs. Everyone has a fourth mortgage. You know, that sort of thing. I, I will I, I just you need to walk away and we're watching another train wreck happen and I do hope she takes the time at least take some time off from Congress. I understand it's a tight vote, but priorities are priorities and just go back and and try to you know do the best you can. I'm not saying you stay in, in a bad relationship by no means but you can't just use your kids as as a prop when it comes time for election season and then act like they don't exist the rest of the time. Your kids clearly need you right now. Your whole family needs you. And and I just and I would I, I will say the same thing when it you know, like Mike Lindell, you can see that the car crash coming. This is not about, you know, you know, stopping dreams or trying to paint people into boxes. It's just when it spills out like this. And and like I said, it wasn't exactly pleasant in my mind to see the numerous people cheering on her son's issues. I don't think that that's a good idea. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell announced his intention to step down from Senate leadership in November, although he will serve the remainder of his current term. I I'm not surprised by that because even if he... You know, my guess is going to be Joe Biden is going to win. I still am of the firm belief that Biden is the favorite to win the election in November. He does not like Trump. Trump does not like him. I don't think he wants anything to do if case Trump wins. But clearly he's having some health issues. I mean, the fact that he has had multiple times where he has frozen like a deer in the headlights during press conferences, that's not a good thing. So I, you know, all my best. I hope he's. His health is, is you know, better. Yeah. The Kentucky Republican, the longest-serving Senate leader in history, having held the position since 2007. Speaking from the Senate floor on Wednesday to announce his decision, McConnell grew emotional and reflected on his age and the direction of his party under Trump, the likely 2024 GOP presidential nominee. The Kentucky senator's influence in his conference has waned in recent years, and he has had several health scares that have slowed him considerably. Believe me, I know the politics within my party at this particular moment in time. I have many faults. Discerning Senate politics is not one of them, the 82-year-old senator said on the floor. 
one of the life's underappreciated moments is to know when it's time to move on and life's next chapter. This will be my last term as Republican leader in the Senate. McConnell was first elected to the upper chamber in 1984 during Reagan's administration. He moved up the ranks and became party leader in 2006 after Tennessee Senator Bill Frist stepped down from the post. His tenure as GOP senator has been extremely consequential. <coughs> he reshaped the federal judiciary with hundreds of conservative judges. I mean, that was part of his plan. Um, he denied President Obama the appointment of a Supreme Court justice, helped Trump to appoint three conservative justices, shifting the balance of power in the high court for the first time in decades. The Supreme Court's repeal of Roe v. Wade wouldn't have been possible without him. Put that on his, 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 his eventual tombstone. When the legislative front, there are a few laws that Congress hasn't passed in the past two decades that McConnell hasn't shaped or influenced. He's one of, one of the biggest opponents of campaign finance reform, arguing instead for more money in politics, he argued he pushed through Trump's 2017 tax cuts in law, backed up Joe Biden's infrastructure overhaul, and argued fiercely for USA to Ukraine and other allies abroad. Uh, I'll talk more about him with Stein coming up here, but I did want to give Jeff in Cambridge a quick chance to chime in. Welcome on in, Jeff. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I'm the Lauren Barbert and her son situation. Yes. We don't, need, we don't need to laugh about the fact that he got arrested. At the same time, we don't need to listen to her to tell us how to uh, how to parent our kids and what books they should be reading and you know those issues either. It, well, I, Jeff, and that that is that is very fair criticism. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. That's very fair criticism. When she's out there telling you about what books should not be in the library or not, you know, it it doesn't have much resonance. And, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying. No matter what she says, I mean, especially anything with parenting. You've just lost the ability to have any credibility. When you when you yourself put out a post about the Biden crime family as your own son is charged with with many crimes, that's it's kind of one of those things where there's there's a need for you to step back, look at the whole situation, realize it's time for you to take some time off and go deal with this. And like I said, you want to come back? Eventually, by all means, you have the chance you can do that. Just on when we come back. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, 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 Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff. Jeff Steins, our national and presidential expert, noted author. Find his books over at Next Chapter Books in Minneapolis, St. Paul, wherever you find your favorite book, and at totallyiowa.com. The Iowa Business Report, the Iowa Politics Report, come to us from KXEL, Cedar Falls, Waterloo, where Jeff is currently stationed right now. Hey, Jeff. So you're taking over for Chuck Schumer? Yeah, I've I've labeled myself on the video screen with Senate Majority Leader McNeil. I don't—okay, let's just be honest. That does not look right. That's— (laughs) <laughs> those letter, those words don't look like they belong together. Well, here's the thing, though. <laughs> Could you do any worse than the current group of chuckleheads on both sides? Not at all. I, 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 nope, I, I, nope. I, nope, not at all. <laughs> you would be elevating the game as opposed to, I mean. Speaking uh, of which, I'm going to call you right now and ask you. I'll call you out right now and ask you. Did you ask Senator Grassley? The question about when he knew that 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 the Smirnoff was not telling the truth. I did. Mm-hmm. And actually, I asked the question about the form and the whole bit. And 
he answered it yesterday or whenever we did the interview month yeah, yesterday. Um, but then his office issued a news release afterwards on the whole topic, which I found somewhat interesting. But what he is indicating is that the identity of the individual, Smirnoff, was not disclosed in the form. And so he had no idea who the person actually was. Did he? And, and like I said, the big question is, when did he and Comer and Jordan, when were they made aware? Because once again, this guy was investigated under Bill Barr. And it, in, in, by the sounds of it, his allegations were laughably easy to disprove. And so the question is, is at what point? And once again, we're not talking about, you know, just some newbie freshman person. I mean, Grassley's been around forever. Comer and Jordan have been around forever. They're in senior leadership. This is something I'm imagining, and they're getting briefed. I cannot believe that they did not know before they tried to push this that this whole thing, there was, there was a lot of problems with it. Uh, let's see. The, and he made statements on the floor yesterday to this as well, saying that the FBI had the 1023 documents since June of 2020. Yes. And did not interview the, the source of the document. Now, do the math. June of 2020 was Bill Barr. Yes. To your point. All right. Um, he indicated that they only investigated it after he uh, brought this forward uh, after a whistleblower. So, again, uh, he is saying that he did not know the identity of the individual. He just knows that they were told um, July 20 of 2023 about the 1023 and they released it, but claims uh, that there was uh, no knowledge about the information in the whole document. Now, that would be Grassley's comment. Yes. That has nothing to do with Comer. That has nothing to do with Jordan in terms of what they may have known behind the scenes. But that's, that's the Grassley response. You and I have been around this long enough. That's a guy trying to spin a narrative. You know, and I it look is. back. Well, no, but I look back, and at the time, this was the narrowest little thing mm -hmm. that he was promoting. Now, I say that only because there could be a couple of things. Plausible deniability, like, don't tell me too much, <laughs> and I'll push this. I'll push this because it fits what I do. I, I release these documents. I tell people, uh, you know, where's the accountability? You need to come clean. It's entirely possible that you had a need to know going on because if, in fact, in the midst of an investigation like this, you had Comer and Jordan making the allegation, what kind of credibility would it have? In other words, did they take someone unrelated to an impeachment inquiry mm -hmm. who might have some credibility with whistleblowers, give them a need to know situation and let them drive it? Beats me. I have I have no idea. Um, but not only did I ask, as I promised you I would, uh, that was at 145. And then yesterday, I want to get the timing here. At 6.51 p.m., there was a news release that included comments from the floor of the Senate.
So there you go, you troublemaker. You see, you did it. I'm I'm proud of you, man. You you got them scrambling. Nicely done. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, <laughs> just, yeah. Ask a question. I'm not. I'm nobody scrambling because of me. But this is why you should be Senate Majority Leader. Well, no, because I, all you do on your multiple major market radio program is say, "Hey, why don't you ask him this question?" And every with all of the stuff in Congress not being done, including keeping the government open, you got this done. Well, done. well uh, my, done. My next question for you is ask him about the sex parties. Anyway, I, <laughs> Madison Cawthorn made some. You want me to play the video? No, not going to do that. Um, I want to actually have a discussion, a little bit, maybe even a little wonkish discussion here about what happened in Michigan, particularly with Haley. And where this is going, I had Aaron Rupar on with me yesterday, and we were talking about mm-hmm. this. And as I was talking to him about it, it became clear. I was like, okay, what is going to happen here? Haley, once again, um, pulling up, and I'm looking at the, the, the New York Times results here, 26.6%. Mm-hmm. Clearly not as much as South Carolina, but still, for, a, for someone that lost all of her funding, is not going to win this. She's still pulling over a quarter of the votes from the Republican Party in a swing state. You know, it, you and I have been around in this long enough mm-hmm. to where we know, okay, that the next logical step should be Trump offering her a senior level cabinet administration, maybe the vice presidency, something of that na- nature, because Trump clearly needs to have that 26 percent of the electoral vote in house. And so he needs a very in, enthusiastic Nikki Haley to send her voters to his way. So usually that's how it goes. I don't know if you're UN ambassador or something like that, but clearly there. Trump already was. Well, but I mean, like, but that's she might want to go back. I don't know. Trump clearly doesn't seem to want to have her as part of his admi- next administration no, if he was to win. He's he's ruled it out. He's made it very clear that bird brain is not going to be a part of it. So where does this go? Because you know you're. I guess he's thinking that she's going to grovel to him and say, I'm sorry, and say, tell, and beg all of her supporters. I mean, what is your thought? Because if, if I'm not no, mistaken, no. If, if only like 5% of the Republican base decides, okay, I was voting for Haley, I don't want anything to do with Trump, Trump cannot win in November. He loses, that's just too much attrition for him that he's not going to pull back el- elsewhere. Okay, so let's say Haley has 30%. I'm just using round numbers yeah, sure. because I'm a simple person. How many of those are people that voted for Nikki Haley because they wanted to vote against Donald Trump? And come November, they're going to vote against Donald Trump, regardless of who the Democrat nominee is. Or not vote. Or not vote. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. But I I tell you, the more people we hear, and you and I talked about this post-Iowa. We heard it resoundingly in New Hampshire and in South Carolina. A lot of Democrats crossed over. Not 30 percent. Don't don't I'm not going too far on this. Some for sure. Yes. But but there was a clearly a cohort that voted for her to flip the middle finger at Trump. And they're going to and even if she were the nominee, they're going to vote for Biden. So the the bottom line is it's not 30 percent, but it's a significant number. And he doesn't care. He's not going to grovel to her. He's not going to give her anything. If he does, nobody's going to believe it. And so if you actually have, let's say, 20 percent, 20 percent of those who voted in Michigan yesterday as Republicans are, quote, good, loyal Republicans, and they wanted the choice. Some are going to come home in November 
just because they feel they need to come home in November. But he is not going to do anything other than to say, I'm the only hope against Joe Biden because it's just the two of us. So what are you going to do? I don't have to give you anything because if you care about the country, you're not going to vote for Biden. Those are the ones who could stay home. So you peel the the first part off that were crossovers. They're going to be active anti-Trump. You're going to have some who wanted to send a signal, but they'll come home in the end. But I think it's a solid 10 percent that just don't want any part of it. And Here's I'm not crazy. And has- by the way, and I'm not crazy. That 10 percent is really hard. That's just if that's also that, that, that chasm opens up, that's not something he's going to be able to fill. Now, again, we're speaking. Uh, you're right. We're, we're speaking in a vacuum because how many Democrats are not going to vote for Joe Biden because of various issues? Again, talking Michigan. I don't know. I have no idea. We're so far from November. Nobody can predict. But here's something that, that Haley says that's accurate. I don't know that it makes any difference, but it's accurate. What was the uncommitted vote in Michigan yesterday? 15, 17 percent in the Democrat side. On the Democratic side, the votes were uncommitted was 13.2. Marianne Williamson, and it should be mentioned, Marianne Williamson got 3.3% and Dean Phillips got 2.7%. But yeah, yeah. and just so give you an idea, all the people that Uh did not vote for Joe Biden were about 19% versus the amount of people that voted for Nikki Haley was 26.6 or actually 30 because that uncommitted there was 3% as well okay. in Michigan. So so basically so 30%, yeah, 30% there versus 19%. But once again, that was a coordinated thing. And I, I highly doubt people that are insisting that Biden should not go back into the White House because of Palestine. When it comes down to it, the guy that's yeah, you know that Trump is far going to be far harsher on the Palestinians than Biden ever would be. So I, I don't, I don't know where that goes. But needless to say, right. this is a much larger chasm on the Republican side than the Democratic side. Well, and there are two things: one, Marion and Williamson unsuspended her campaign. Yeah, have you ever heard of I've just Moonbeam? Moonbeam never stops delivering. <laughs> Moonbeam is just great. I mean, uh, yeah, right. well, anyway, when you see uh, it reported as a rambling four minute video on social media, you think, oh, I got to get me some of that. No, I did not. No. did not go near it. But here's Haley's point. And I'm rounding up again because I'm a simple person. Twenty percent of those who voted on the Democratic side said not Joe Biden. And as Haley points out, there are all of these headlines in. Oh, is there a concern? Is there a problem? Oh, And then she says, excuse me, I got more than that. Why does no one say there's a problem on the Republican side? And that's a tremendous point, because if you're going to spin it and say 13 percent overtly said uncommitted and it was part of an organized effort and that was supposed to be something that, oh, my God, they got to worry about. She's over here at, you know, 20, 25, 30 percent when you factor everything in and everybody's saying she ought to go home. Yeah. Now, it's true the Koch brothers pulled their money, but she had enough to get through Super Tuesday. Yeah. The fact that they pulled the plug on money, they're still endorsing her, but not financially. She's still good through Super Tuesday. Those ads have already been paid for, yeah. Yeah, that, and it's not enough for him to lock up the nomination delegate-wise. Mm-hmm. He needs more than just Super Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, but but it is interruption becomes reality, and, and she's got a heck of a lot more reality <laughs> Well, and then the, the perception on the other side, the most obvious thing is she's setting herself up for 2028. And I mean, and let's face it, 
you know, you know, it's you know, I don't think Trump's running again. If, if he loses, he's not going to run again in 2028. DeSantis was a really big no. And Nikki Haley, I mean, this is not a bad play by her. Sure, she's going to take a lot of the brunt of the of Trump's anger, but she does set herself up nicely for 2028. She doesn't care about Trump's anger. Yeah. We went well past oh, no, that yeah. when she decided to run against him. <laughs> yep. I mean, right? I mean, what does she care? Uh, every time he take, tears into her from the podium, she gets a million dollars in donations. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Trump people say, okay, uh, we're going to listen and we're not going to mention her name. She who shall not be mentioned. Well, it's a smart idea because any more vitriol from him at the podium and he's going to alienate possible, just ignore her. Let it play out. The 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 28 option is interesting because if, in fact, Trump is the nominee in 24 and if, in fact, he loses, she is the only one who can say, I told you so yeah. and I stuck with it. Yep. The others are all going to say, well, but 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 I stood up to him, too, until the wind blew. Now, the question is, does she call no labels? Does she uh, talk Joe Manchin into a dream team? No, I don't just, I don't think that's going to happen. So either. I don't think so either. But here's the thing. Her side keeps downplaying it. I yeah. always get nervous. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, um, you know, Matt McNeil is the manager of the Twins, and, and we have full confidence in his ability oh. and gone. Well, if they, if they only listen to me. Now, uh, by the way, <laughs> I want to put it past... Did you say that Voldemort translated from English is Trump? Okay, never mind. I'll, we'll, we'll pass on that. We'll come back and talk Trump in just a moment. Jeff Stein joining us on a Wednesday. Broadcasting in the evening on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and in the afternoons on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Jeff Stein joining us. Jeff, sad news. Richard Lewis passed away. The comedian Richard Lewis. Oh, my gosh. He yeah. was just in the uh, most recent Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. Uh, 76. That's Variety. It looks like he's reporting that. Oh, well, that's a and, sad And one. what's odd is he's in the commercial. And uh, at home, we both remarked, wow, he really looks good because he had been ill. Yeah. Oh, no. that is sad. That is sad. Um, just really quick. I will gesture as if things are coming out of my head in this next segment in honor of Richard Lewis and his genius. He, oh, God, everyone on that. God, curb your enthusiasm is just <laughs> unbelievable. All right. So um, real quick, uh, Mitch McConnell says he's going to step down. I just think that he, he knows that he, <laughs> his health-wise is not there. That's the main reason. But he clearly, in case Trump wins, he does not want to even be there if Trump gets a second term. This is such an abdication of everything. If you really had health issues, and I respect that he has had health issues, yes. and he does not look yes. as robust as he did. Neither do I. But, okay. You step down now. But instead, he's going to step down after November. That is the biggest in your face to Trump because he can disavow himself from Trump. Because what's Trump going to do to him? He's just going to be a rank-and-file senator. He's still going to control the money and the power on the Senate Election Committee. I mean, it's it's a very much, let me jam this to Trump as much as possible. And you can almost see this lining up because earlier in the week, John Thune from South Dakota, 
one of those at Mitch's elbow, yes. endorsed Trump. Now, why did he endorse Trump at that point? Because he knew full well that McConnell was going to step aside, and he has been carrying water for Mitch for years. First, it was just, you know, for legislation. Then it was to recess it. I'm sorry. Wow. That wasn't called for. Wow. It's angry Jeff today. I'm sorry. But <laughs> the uh, – and Matt likes angry Jeff. Oh, dang right. Talk more about the demise of the Senate Majority Leader, please. Boy, yes. But clearly, clearly this this was a move to get a leg up to be the next Senate uh, minority slash majority leader, depending on how November goes. Who do you think is going to be? Just off the top, I mean, is it going to be... Uh, on the Republican uh, side? Cornyn down in Texas, or... No, no, uh, I, I, I think it's sooner going to be somebody like Thune. Thune uh, right. and, and because, again, he's been... Well, it depends on what they want. Do you want somebody inoffensive? Then you're going to vote for Thune. But remember, Rick Scott in Florida actually challenged McConnell the last time. And Trump likes him some Rick Scott. So, you know, I mean, frankly, if Trump wins and the party's in the minority, if I'm John Thune, I might just say, Senator Scott, help yourself. (laughs) Oh, boy. That's what what the Senate needs. More of the house ethics kind of mentality. (laughs) There you go. Good. Uh, (laughs) All right. So Trump today. And this is. Yeah. Okay. So this is not a criticism per se of of his wealth per se because once again if you're a, a real estate owner you have a lot of real estate that's where a lot of your money is but he basically says I have a you know he can get a hundred million he can't get the four hundred fifty million which you need to bond out so that you can appeal a ruling he so he's asking for an exception so that he can bond that out I'm presuming that means on top of the eighty three for E Jean Carroll because he was told he has to pay that so basically there. Um, he says the fact that he can't conduct business with New York banks hurts him. But the reality is, is that, you know, I, I, my guess is going to be a lot of his properties must be leveraged to the hilt because usually even, you know, you, you can find some things that you can, you know, you know, who needs a fifth mortgage or something like that. I mean, I, I'm going to guess that that's part of the problem is that there's a lot of money that is owed on those properties henceforth. His properties, there's just nothing there that they can make money off of. The claim by the family in the New York civil case was that all the loans they ever got were paid back and the lenders were happy and they do it again in a heartbeat. Where are they now? Mm-hmm. Now, if in fact they were New York banks, well, yes, they, there is the problem. But does he not have other banking friends in other jurisdictions who would take out a mortgage on Trump Tower so he doesn't have to sell it? or so that it isn't uh, executed against by the state of New York, doesn't he have people who would be very willing, if he's such a great payer, to extend him the credit properly collateralized? The only reason that wouldn't happen is the scenario you just posed, because, again, wealthy Senate Majority Leader McNeil would love a piece of that action, except it's under collateralized, which you would be giving. I mean, that again... If he's such a good payer and he's got these well-heeled uh, uh, financial friends in, in other jurisdictions, why wouldn't you take a signature note, put Trump Tower up as collateral? Oh, wait, unless. Unless you already have one or two mortgages on the building, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, exactly. and Which brings up the, the big concern, if you are a Republican, that he – you know, okay, so you and I talked with Nikki Haley in the numbers issue. There's a problem there for him. He's got to figure that out. 
But maybe the whole goal here is this. He realizes with these court cases, there's money to be paid. And so he's basically, I mean, it, we were talking about the RNC. He's going he's gonna to put his loyalists in there. And their whole goal, they've already said, is the only thing that matters is making sure Trump gets elected, which is I, I think that every dime that they can get their hands on, every dime they can get their hands on is going to go to Trump, whether that's to cover legal costs, you know, payouts or maybe a few ads. But I don't I'm starting to wonder, really, if he's even in this for for winning it all. I think this might be just a a big grift. He's got to win so he can pardon himself and his family. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, Nikki I, I, Haley yeah. said, said that she'd pardon him and all of that, but that's gratuitous. How can you count on that? Yeah. Uh, but, but again, the fact that the RNC is owned and operated by Trump for president is not a surprise. I would say that the DNC is owned and operated by Biden for president, or at least they're all together. They're in it together. The distinction, though, is you don't have a candidate who has these ancillary bills as opposed to TV commercials in yeah. order to get elected. That's the big distinction. And that's where the the donors are going to be nervous. And the reality is, is that when you're when you're running a party, there part of your concern is Senate seats. Part of your concern is governorships. Part of your concern is important House okay. seats. And if all that money gets pulled and is only going to Trump, that's a big problem for the Republicans. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's why you have the other committees, but there's only so much money to go around. Jeff Stein, once again, find his books at your favorite book retailer. Uh, the Iowa Politics Report, I will publish that a little bit later on. And you can, of course, listen to this on the weekend. Once again, right here on AM 950. Bye, Jeff. Bye, Chicago. Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. Ooh. Hour number two of the show here on your Wednesday. Matt and Brett here today. And by the way, Brett, when do we re-air the, the uh, Jeff Stein experience on the uh, weekends here? Uh, best time to hear that is Sundays at 2.30. Sunday at 2.30. You can listen to Jeff once again right here on AM 950. Uh, the, uh, of course, Listener Appreciation Month rolling on here. We've got a huge grand prize coming. That is going. You will want to win this. That's going to be coming up here. We're, we're still waiting on making the official announcement, dotting some I's, crossing some T's, but it is going to be so cool. So uh, needless to say, though, before we get there, we are giving away other things, as this is our way of saying thank you very much to all you listeners out there who've been with us for so many years and really have stepped it up since the COVID uh, you know, issues there and become members and supported the station. It's long overdue. We had that great meet and greet earlier in February. We, of course, been giving away things all month long, and we're continuing with the giveaways this week. Uh, this week, you can win yourself gift bottles worth $50 from Vinaigrette, or getting a copy of yourself of the Tom Hartman new book, The Hidden History of War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back. Uh, we're giving away both of those this week on this show. Of course, you can listen to Native Roots Radio. I'm awake. You can listen to Greg Bakken and Ghost Box Radio. We give away on those stations. And you can also register by going to AM950's Facebook page. Uh, like the page. Like a post on the page. Go get register for the AM950 newsletter at am950radio.com. You'll get the newsletter. There's ways for you to get registered there. We do the Wheel of Destiny on Mondays where we're giving away a whole bunch of stuff as well. So lots of ways for you to win. Coming up later on this hour, we will give away a copy of Tom Hartman's new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Still Your Vote and How to Get It Back. Listen for your chance on when you should call on. And Richard Lewis, the stand-up comedian who did star alongside Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm, has died. It was a heart attack. Um, he, uh, he was 76. He had announced last April he'd been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, 
was retiring from stand-up comedy and most recently appeared in season 12 of Curb Your Enthusiasm, currently airing on HBO. So very, very funny, man. Holy. I mean, it, it, the, the comedic att- the ability of, of him, uh, that one hurts. That one hurts because, I, I mean, that, that's one of those comedians. I mean, he's, he's basically 20 years older than me, so I kind of grew up with him as a teenager. He was kind of in his prime and just was one of those guys that you just stopped and everyone loved. And he's 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 fantastic on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He is absolutely fantastic on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So uh, I did want to take a quick moment here because we did not. I, I, I want to run through the Trump story because I just mentioned this briefly with Jeff. And I just want to read through this because it's a doozy. Real estate mogul, former President Trump, admitted Wednesday he'd have to sell off properties to pay the $450 million he owes in damages after ruling his civil fraud trial. So once again... That's not saying I need to get a mortgage on a Trump Tower or Mar-a-Lago or something like that. He is saying, I've got, to, I've got to sell stuff, which tells you he is leveraged to the freaking hilt at this point. And it's interesting because he, he, once again, the $83 million, he has to pay E. Jean Carroll. She, he cannot delay that. He has to pay that. He also has to put up he, – he's saying that he can put up a $100 million bond as opposed to the $450 million bond he's required to. Um, but my guess is that's tapping him out. And so when he says, I have to sell a property, I mean, okay, just – I want you to think of well, – give me IDS Tower. If there's no mortgage or there's no secondary loan on that building – how much money? I mean, I bet you can get maybe. Uh, I guess maybe it, it's an office tower. I mean, that might be a little difficult, but I'd still say you'd probably be able to get a probably a fifty million dollar loan on that property if it was there. With the amount of properties he owns, if he's not leveraged to the hilt, even uh, once again, he can't do business with banks in New York, but Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlanta, Miami, London, Paris, you can do business with any of these other banks. He's not saying that. He's not saying I need more time to pull this morning together. He's saying I have to sell things. He is leveraged to the absolute hilt. Everything must go. Everything must go. I hope he starts running like old radio ads. Selling this, everything must go. I would hope that they would – I would just hope that they would look. It's like, wait a second. I thought you said Mar-a-Lago was worth a billion dollars. That should be easy. If you got a billion dollars at Mar-a-Lago, should that be easy for you to get a bond on that? Your oh, the point I was going to say. What bank would want to do business with the guy? I wouldn't. Touch, I, 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 would I wouldn't, you trust him to pay you no, back? No, yeah. no. He's ta- he's taking over the RNC to rate it as a piggy bank. Yes. Trump filed more than a seventeen hundred ninety page emergency motion with the New York Appeals Court. Half the words being ketchup. Uh, requ- <laughs> well, <laughs> requesting a stay to Judge Arthur and. Uh, Egeron's uh, verdict, which he said would cause irreparable harm and offering to hand over a $100 million bond instead. In the absence of a stay of the terms herein outlined, properties would likely need to be sold to raise capital under extingent circumstances, Trump's attorneys wrote. It's not like you didn't know this was coming, you idiots. Uh, And there would be no way to recover any property sold following a successful appeal and no means to recover the resulting financial losses. As attorney Bradley Moss summarized it, he doesn't have the cash. Moss also noted that it contradicts a previous boast that Trump said he has $400 million liquid. He made the claim during a deposition for the trial following 
E. Jean Carroll, he was ultimately found liable for defamation of the case. If he said that under oath, isn't that lying under oath? Couldn't he be held accountable for lying under oath saying he has $400 million liquid available when he clearly doesn't? The New York Attorney General's office, which brought the massive civil fraud case, believes the appeals court will judge will issue a decision by the end of Wednesday. Trump was found liable for fraud after exaggerating the value of his properties to secure favorable rates for loans and insurance. The judge found he hit them with the damages, so he ruled that the former president could not conduct business in New York for three years. Uh, Trump filed an intent to appeal but cannot begin the appeal until the damages are paid or an agreed-upon bond is secured. Trump has a difficulty saying he's not allowed to loan money from any banks doing business in New York as another term of the ruling. Well, no, I don't think you can. It, I think you can do business with banks that are in New York. They can't be based in New York, which, you know, that's most of the banks in the United States. But there are banks in other cities. And once again, there's London. There's Moscow. Has he, has he checked on the Moscow banks? Hello, Dad. I need you. I need you to co-sign something for me. <laughs> Like like my son looking for his first lease. Dad, I need you to co-sign this. There you go. Uh, yeah, he's bleeding cash, man. He is bleeding cash. That's unreal that he's having to straight up sell these things. And it's going to become reality for him. And it's going to be fun to see. Yeah. All right. So the thing that's been on most people's minds, as a matter of fact, it was on my mind for a good chunk of the day because I was watching the memorial service was the memorial service for the three uh, fallen heroes who were gunned down by what could only be described as an insane man in Burnsville. <coughs> Friends, family, community leaders, and a legion of law enforcement on Wednesday honored fallen Burnsville police officers Matthew Ruge and Paul Elmstrand and firefighter paramedic Adam Finseth in a service filled with tears, human, heartfelt stories, and a solemn final ceremony reserved for those who pin on a badge for public service. Um, the public memorial at Grace Church in Eden Prairie, there were the three were remembered formally as men who became naturally to the ethos of helping others. They were shot and killed on February 18th while responding to a call for help involving a man armed and barricaded in a home with several children inside. Grace Church officials told reporters that the complex had reached its capacity of 7,600, so those who want to show support for the fallen first responders could choose another option, Prince of Peace Lutheran in Burnsville, with a capacity of 1,800. It was carrying the live stream of the service, uh, and it's apparently still had room at, as of 1045 this morning. My guess is that filled up. Chaplain Mark Patrick um, led a prayer for the three colleagues. A firefighter read the firefighter's prayer. When I am called to duty, God, wherever flames may rage, give me strength to save a life, wherever it be its age. Help me to embrace a little child before it's too late. Or save an older person from the horror of that fate. Enable me to be alert to hear the weakest shout and quickly and efficiently to put the fire out. I want to fill my calling and to give you my best in me to guard my neighbor and protect my property. If I, according with your will, I have to lose my life, bless with your protecting hand my loving family from strife. Um, the, yeah, horrible... A horrible story, um, what happened to them. I think the public support across the board has been exceptional. Um, I know that the – I mean, if you saw the images from the live feed, I mean, the, the amount of police officers at the, at the events 
was truly remarkable. And yeah, I, I believe that the governor was there um, as well uh, as other political figures too at the public memorial. It sounds once again, I, I, it, it sounds like the, the memorial they're having I think was more kind of was the private memorial um, and the only non-family that was allowed to go in there was certain law enforcement on the second one. Uh, as of when I was coming to work uh, today, uh, they still had the sign saying the the procession route was still closed down. And um, obviously people were lining the streets to, to send their best as well. We need to make sure to not shy away from the reality that guns did this. That as Republicans scream about, well, you know, there's already plenty of laws in the books. The the laws we have are a piecemeal. And this is a prime example. As a matter of fact, last week I brought up a prime example. The weirdness that before August 1st of last year, even though he couldn't own the gun, he technically could have bought the gun legally until they basically closed that loophole last year. The story uh, came out. One of the guns that he had was clearly purchased through a straw man. Well, that's the allegation made by the gun store owner in Burnsville that someone had legally purchased the gun and, you know, I don't know what the story is going to be, whether the argument is going to be, well, it was stolen from me or they were sold to another person. But the reality is, is that we, 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 we don't leave running cars with the keys inside outside of elementary schools with a sign saying, hey, kids, jump in and take one. Why not? Because they're dangerous. And you can look at me and say, well, but Matt, the, 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 the car is not the problem. The, 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 the driver is the problem. Well, yeah, but the amount of damage a person can do with a car is pretty – Amazing. As a matter of fact, I can speak on that authoritatively at this point. No, the, the, the reality is, is that we need to look at the guns. And I will repeat what I've said before. If you are pro-police officer, if you are pro-law enforcement, then you have to be pro-gun control. Because this notion of dumping 15 to 20 wheelbarrows full of guns into the street of any community and thinking whether they're either legally or illegally owned, there's going to be some sort of good outcome from the distribution of that level of lethality. I I don't know. I, I don't know what to say to you because it's clearly you're broken as a human being. And the police, unfortunately, are the people on the front line of this. They are on the front line. They were at a domestic call. And a domestic call became lethal in seconds because of an assault weapon. He couldn't have done that damage with an axe or a pipe or a hammer or a bow and arrow or a knife. He could not have done that level of damage. And I'd make a strong argument that if it was anything but this assault weapon— assault weapons, I don't think that that anyone would have died. 
And you cannot just remove the gun from the equation when the gun plays such a large part of the reality. You're right. A gun, if I just put it here on the table, it's unloaded. It doesn't have a bullet in the chamber. No one touches it. It's not going to hurt anything. But the problem is, is that's what you're you're missing the point of what the thing is designed for. It was never designed to just sit on a table. These assault weapons were designed. When someone sat down with graph paper and pencil to design them, the design was to kill other human beings. That's why they were designed for military combat. There is nothing in the history of this country or within the founding fathers' words that that lead us to think that this is just the way things are. As a matter of fact, I was reading an interesting article that the idea of the six-shooter in the West, you know, the people back then, I mean, most people did not have a gun back then. The people that did pretty much had hunting weapons. And when you saw someone wearing a six-shooter on their hip, that was either a law enforcement official or someone looking to cause problems. That simple. There was not a respect. There wasn't a admiration. It was designed for fear. And the law enforcement back then wore their six-shooter in an attempt to try to stop the people that wanted to use their six-shooters in bad ways from thinking about doing it. We have to have a long, hard discussion about guns because you can no longer be pro-cop if you think making sure every time a police officer has to drop off a restraining order at an address or gets a call on a welfare check that they have to wonder, do I have to bring in the armored vehicle? Do I have to have full body armor on? Do I need to have an assault weapon just to see if Agnes is still alive? We need common sense gun control now. And if you love the police, it's time to put up and stop this carnage on our streets. Because the police do not deserve this. Gun control now. Absolutely. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Everybody knows that you talk, talk, talk. Saying I'm the one that you want, want, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Breaking news. The Supreme Court has said they will indeed uh, weigh in on the ruling that President Trump incl- insists that he has immunity from his attempts to overthrow the election of of 2020. Um, the, while Trump argues the president needs blanket immunity for effectively served, uh, Smith argues, and the D.C. Court, Circuit of, Port of Appeals uh, agreed that such power would undermine the foundations of democracy in the United States. Uh, the federal court case, which levies charges based on Trump's actions leading up to January 6th, has been effectively put on hold as the, the work through court. Uh, okay, well, so let's just call it what it is. We already know that Alito and Thomas are going to rule that that Trump is immune from 
all prosecutions, which will be a hoot when they basically get uh, a Democratic president in there and they say, well, that was just for Trump. That's not for everybody. You know, that's going to be them. But, you know, that's what you get. You you take a Supreme Court justice on a five-star vacation or get them the super-duper RV and just give them tons of cash. Guess what? That's a, that's how you that's how you buy some ruling right there. That's how you get quality Supreme Court rulings. Gorsuch will probably go along with it. The question comes down to is Kavanaugh and Barrett, and because I don't think Roberts Roberts is not going to go along with that, and I don't think the three liberal justices are going to say, "Oh yeah, you can commit any crime you want. You can rape and kill somebody in office, and well, presidential immunity." But I and and, and so it's going to be interesting to see. I guarantee you, Trump and his allies are going to be hounding Barrett and Kavanaugh right now saying, you know, you owe everything to him. You'd better rule in his favor. I have zero doubt. I have zero doubt. And it will be one of the greatest. I mean, that will be up there with Dred Scott as one of the, if they actually rule that Trump can't be prosecuted for trying to overthrow a legitimate election. That will be up there with Dred Scott as one of the worst case, one of the worst rulings in the history of this country, and yeah. Then I'll, and by the way, can't wait for the in earnest Republicans saying, "Well, we can't do anything about Trump, but we need to write the laws that basically say they can't break the laws anymore." Frankly, Democrats, if the Supreme Court is this stupid to open up the door for you, I would say, oh, "All right." <laughs> You can't prosecute someone in the White House. Well, we're done with the Comer, Jim Jordan thing, because even though you don't prove anything, what are you going to do? You can't. There's no prosecuting. You can't do anything. 952-946-6205. So I got to bring up a story that reminds me of a brush with celebrity. And it was a weird one. Uh, Can I... One of the Minnesota Zoo's three grizzly bears has died. The 17-year-old Alaska native was in the latter stages of liver cancer, a zoo official said in a social media post announcing his death. He arrived in Minnesota in 2008, accompanied by two other orphaned bears, Sadie and Haynes. Kanai was found in as an eight-month-old runt and sent to live with the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center. He weighed 28 points or 28 points, 28 pounds. Like Haynes and Kenai was named after the Alaskan city where he was found. Kenai weighed 320 pounds when he landed in Minnesota by way of a FedEx plane. I bet you that cost you some money to ship. That carried him and other two orphan bears. Uh, the grizzlies bear was weighed between 400 and 600 pounds on average. Uh, they typically live about 25 years. So Kenai had been around for a while. Although unrelated, they acted in many ways like siblings, Kanai being lovingly referred to as the laid-back little brother, always willing to tag along with Haynes and let Sadie be the unquestioned leader of the group. Zoo officials wrote in the social media that it was a hard loss for the staff. Kanai's playful nature was well-documented when one of the three bears hurled a rock at a glass plane and shattered it in 2015. Zoo officials were left scratching their heads and wondering which one of them was responsible Kanai was named the bear of interest. He should have been the bear of interest because I took the picture of him right before he did it. Did you ever hear this story? I did, you took a picture of him just before he did this? So I was at the zoo I'm, that yeah. day. I was at the zoo. And by the way, you can go up and look. For some reason, that photo is included in almost every British newspaper story about the bear breaking the glass. 
It, they have my photo up there that I did. And I remember that photo got a ton of likes. So we're at the zoo. I'm there with the kids. I mean, it's 2015. Um, it you know, we're just, we're out just doing a daily adventure. We're at the bear thing. And if you know, this, this is part of their, 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 their Russia trail, Russia, Alaska trail. It's the otters and the, there's the leopards and there's wild boar. And then more tigers are on that before you get out to the grasslands. And so I'm in there and the bear is clearly picking up the rock. And he was diving down, and I was like, is he going after fish? And no, he was trying to pick up a rock. And this was not – this is a, this is a pretty deep little pool. This is that one where the window is. I mean, he was going down pretty deep and grabbing this. It was actually quite impressive to watch. And the picture I have is me – I mean, one-third of the distance between you and I right now. I mean, the bear is literally on the other side of the glass giving me the stink eye. I'm ba- and and granted, I mean, I'd give myself the stink eye too. I mean, really. So I take the picture of the bear because it's right there. We walk around the corner. Before we even get up to the boar, I heard what sounded like glass breaking, but I didn't even think about it. The bear broke the glass, man. He picked up a rock and he chucked it against the glass window. Thank gosh, my tender, delicious flesh wasn't there on the other side of the dang thing. Apparently, he was terrified of it, too. I mean, he, it's just, they shut down the exhibit, and, you know, Kanai went off on his own. But, yeah, that was, you know, when the bears start figuring out basic tool usage, I think we got a problem. That seems pretty sophisticated that he was – he knew to pick up the rock and then throw it at the window. That's – Wouldn't be the first time someone threw a rock at me. Come on, man. <laughs> Not a bear, though. <laughs> that's a, not a bear. Usually, uh, that's uh, you know, that it's it's not. It's been usually not the woodland creatures that have come after me. I am a little concerned about the badger that lives in my driveway up in my by my cabin. I mean, what's what's waiting for me up there? I'm you know, hopefully they don't do the burning bag on the front porch. But you know, we'll have to see. What kind of velocity do you think he had on that fastball? He oh, he up? had to that to break that glass, dude. That was some power. That was. That bear really, really wanted to eat me. You know, <laughs> like I said, I joke you not. I took the picture of the bear 10 seconds before and walked away. And 10 seconds later, bear coming after delicious mat meat. Oh, it is delicious. I mean, come on, line up, everybody. Who wants a bite? <laughs> that bear, God, that bear scared. That bear, that, 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 when I thought about it, because that bear was huge, I thought about that. I was like, thank God I wasn't in there. But I was, I would, I would have, I would have easily grabbed another animal in the zoo and chucked it to, you know, to get away from it. You know, it sucks to be you, boar, but off you go. Although I imagine the boar, I don't know what, would they give you a, a pine cone in the undies or something like that? I don't know what they would have done. It's the old thing when you're running away. You don't have to be first. Just don't be yeah, last. You guys, all right. Which of my kids do I love? All right. <laughs> no, I, I love them all. I'd already identified some of the other zoo visitors who easily could have gone down. Anyway, <laughs> but no, but when, when he has his eye on me, I mean, okay, think about it. When the old country buffet was around, was anything else going to match it? Of course not. Of course not. Who doesn't want fish in a cheese sauce? Delicious. So... God, you have it on your mind. He was looking. I was. I was that bear's OCB that day, man. He wanted me. He was. He saw me. And he saw a chocolate fountain, man. He wanted all that action, and who doesn't? 
So there you go. My connection to Kanai. Kanai, I'm, you know, all my best in bear heaven. Hopefully tons of blueberries, lots of rocks to throw. All my best. Uh, hey, let's give away a book right now. Let's, let's, let's do this. I'm sure Tom Hartman's just glad with that lead in. Uh, Tom Hartman is a much smarter man than I. I don't know how many bears have come after him, but, you know, yeah, my guess. Uh, Tom Hartman has a new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back. It is a fantastic read. I highly encourage it, and you could get a copy of it right now. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Call in number five. You're going to get yourself a copy of the book from Tom Hartman, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back. Call in number five. Good luck on that. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, I got more breaking news coming through I got to get to here. But, Brett, let's first find out who is our winner here. Yeah, congratulations, Sharon in Minneapolis. Sharon in MPLS. Enjoy the book. Congratulations. We got more books in the Vinaigrette gift certificate to give away a little bit later on this week. Listen for your chance to win. Reminder, listen to Native Roots Radio. I'm away coming up after my show. I'm just privileged to be able to be the lead-in for that show. They are fantastic. And then, of course, Bakken tonight. Greg Bakken, Ghost Box Radio, 10 o'clock hour. Listen to that. And then you can also get uh, registered for the Wheel of Destiny with the AM 950 Facebook page. Like us a, a post there. Like uh, the page itself. And, of course, the email newsletter at am950radio.com. All right, back to the news. Uh, first of all, the New York Appeals Court did you know, basically give Trump the ability to only hand over a $100 million bond. Um, report in the court show. What, by the way, apparently... He still doesn't have that money. He still is asking for some time to pull that money out. But once again, that was the amount he said he'd be willing to do to put up the bond for that. So that's $100 million cash he has to put up to be able to appeal this um, So and, and not the 465 So he's already getting a sweetheart deal there, but he still has to get a $100 million bond and – they found liable fraud. They, they basically they they are going to have to obtain loans while they appeal the ruling. Which, by the way, once again, so maybe they don't have the hundred million, but they still have to try to figure out ways to get that money too. Wow, I don't think Trump's got much cash at all. And, I, and don't get me wrong, the E.G. Carroll ruling. I mean, that money is accounted for. That money has to go, and he doesn't really have any wiggle room with that. So he, if he had, say, $83 million in cash, that's gone. The fact that he doesn't have any more, clearly he didn't have the money in regards to the the the, the liquidity he said he had on hand. Um, but, yeah, that's – yeah, more on that to come. Um, the – basically, the – let's see here. Envelopes with white powder were found in the offices of the judge and the attorney general in the Donald Trump's civil fraud trial. So, yeah, that's you know, not, not – you know, you know, of course, they're going to have people that are out there striking back on that level. Uh, apparently – and let's see if I can find this here. Um, congressional leaders have agreed to another 
a short-term deal to avert a partial shutdown. They're going to have to do something by April, though. Said Wednesday, Wednesday they agreed to another short-term stopgap spending measure ahead of the partial government shutdown at the end of the week. The deal, likely floated by Speaker Johnson, would extend funding for some government agencies for a week through March 8th and the rest of the end another two weeks through March 22nd. Leaders said they had to come to an agreement on six of the 12 annual spending bills that would be voted on and enacted prior to March 8th. The stopgap measure was necessary. He doesn't have the votes. He needs every vote, and I can guarantee you the lunatic fringe of the right is not going, unless everything is gutted, he doesn't have the votes, and the Democrats aren't willing to help him. I mean, that dude's aging like the portrait of Dorian Gray at this point. Read a book. <laughs> there you go. It's the latest on all that. So, And once again, the, the earlier breaking news, Supreme Court has agreed to listen to Donald Trump's claim that basically he can murder anyone he wants to. If you're president of the United States, there's no consequences for doing that. 9529. And like I said, guarantee he's going to have two votes to, to basically give him full immunity. I mean, Alito and, and Thomas, I guarantee, are going to vote to give him full immunity. Gorsuch is probably a likely third vote. The question comes down to Barrett and Kavanaugh. Will they basically make a mockery of this country and said, yeah, the, 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 the president of the United States can murder anyone he wants to. That's what the founding fathers wanted. Uh, 952-946-6205. I want to get back to the story that Brett and Cooligan talked about yesterday about the charter schools. Because we have to come to grips with the fact that these charter schools are not making our education system better. As a matter of fact, they seem to be damaging our education system far worse. And I don't want to hear from the people with the one or two charter schools that work. That's great. But you cannot ignore the fact that the majority of these charter schools are abysmal at educating kids. Reading directly from the story from the Minnesota Reformer, on January 12th, the legacy of Dr. Josie R. Johnson Montessori School, a public charter school in Minneapolis, abruptly shut its doors, leaving dozens of students and their families scrambling to find new schools. The school was $700,000 in debt, had reported enrollment figures in the State Department of Education that were three times higher than its actual numbers, according to a report by the Sahan Journal. The state immediately ceased payments of the school when it found out, and with no money in the bank, administrators had little choice but to shut it down. Along with finances, student achievement had fallen by the wayside. In 2023, not a single one of the school's fourth graders, not a single one met bare minimum statewide proficiency standards in reading or math. And I want to make sure we point out the entire concept of the charter school was it was going to make our education system better. And this is not better. This is undeniably far worse than the public school system. Not a single member of the school's fourth graders met the bare minimum statewide proficiency. And I remember in the 90s when this crap was being pushed, this idea of look at all these bad teachers and the bad administrators and we need to take the power back onto ourselves. And this, this, this glorious idea that parents were going to come in, march arm in arm into the school, take all their kids out, start their own school, and every kid was going to be an A-plus student. And the reality was they, they, in, they to sell that idea, to sell this concept, they vilified the teachers – and, turn, and the administrators and turn them into villains in a way to say, oh, this is going to make things better. And it undeniably has not. 
there in 2023, there were 78 public schools in Minnesota where zero, zero students in at least one entire grade level were rated proficient in the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessment Test in Reading and Math, according to the Department of Education analyzed by the reform. Those numbers excluded alternative learning programs from students who struggled with traditional school as well as distance learning programs. This is an extremely conservative measure of student underperformance. Substantially, there is little difference between a school where 0% of fifth graders meet standards or one where 5% or 10% do. And if those latter schools were included, the list would be much larger. For comparison, about 50% of all Minnesota public school students rate as proficient in math and reading. The number has been declining since the onset of the pandemic. I would make an argument. One of the reasons why it's, it's, it's becoming worse is because the charter schools are doing a crap job of educating the kids overall. Most of the schools with extremely high failure rates. Now, once again, they said 78 public schools, but the reality charter schools are labeled in with the public school system because they use public school dollars. So when you say 78 public schools where zero students were at least entire grade were rated proficient, that's including charter schools. And of all those 78, 59 of the 78 were public charter schools like J.J. Legacy. Many bear lofty names from the Rochester STEM Academy, the Skyline Math and Science Academy, Minnesota Excellence in Learning Academy, to name a few, that belie the realities of low achievement of those schools. At more than half of those charters, fewer than 10% of the students are white, and at more than one quarter, there is no white students at all. Many are based on economically challenged areas like the Twin Cities and some like the ben, uh, Banadir Academy exclusively serve particular communities like the Somali immigrants. Minnesota charter schools perform worse than traditional public schools on average on a statewide standardized test. In 2023, 38% of students with the average charter school were proficient with reading compared to 49 in the public school system. Now, you don't need to be a math whiz to say that the public school system, which is a far larger system, is over 10 points better at proficiency in reading. The math divide is even more disturbing. Public schools average a 46% proficiency rate. Charter schools, just 26. Now, I, I'm not going to deny. For the public school systems, 49, 46, not the highest numbers, but I can at least say they're still a heck of a lot better than 38 and 26. The public school system, is scoring 20 points higher with math proficiency than the charter schools. And these charter schools are all the charter schools factored together. Okay? And this, by the way, this is something you should factor into your consideration on our charter schools working. Let's take away the top 20 charter schools. Let's take away the ones where they're, they are getting good results and look at the vast majority of the rest of them And those numbers plummet. They are far worse than the public school system. This data is consistent with the recent report from the Institute of Metropolitan Opportunity that compared the Twin Cities to high schools that send the highest percentage of students to college to the schools that have the lowest four-year graduation and college enrollment rates. The top 30 schools send roughly two-thirds of their students to a four-year college program after graduation, while the bottom 30 just send 12% of students to a four-year program among those struggling schools, 22 are charter schools compared to only five in the top 30. 
Minnesota University of Minnesota researchers have found that even after controlling the income, so even when you factor in, okay, income, race, language proficiency, special education, other factors, the typical charter school lags behind its traditional counterparts. Their work has suggested that charter school students fare worse overall than students at similarly situated traditional schools. Now, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what is what is in the heart of the people that are running this. One thing I can say is this. Now, all teachers, I went and spent some time today and I looked up the, the rules for charter schools. All teachers that teach at a charter school have to be licensed by the state of Minnesota. So they have to be somewhat proficient at education, which makes me want to believe one of two things is happening. Either they're really bad at teaching or they don't actually have licensed teachers in some of these schools. And if it's the latter, well, that would explain why you're getting zeros across the board in your classes. But I'm not going to shy away from what this appears to be. It, it just appears to be a scheme a way to rip off taxpayer dollars by basically saying, I'm going to open a charter school and doing so. And by the way, and and the, the, the true evilness of this, if this is true, and I'm just, I am wildly speculating. This is just what I'm seeing here, considering how many of these charter schools can't, they fail and they are in debt. It seems to me that there, it sure seems like that people are using the lower income minority communities where the education system is already suffering as a way to rip off the state, rip off the school district, throw as much money as they can in their pockets, and then run away when the entire house of cards collapses. That's what it seems like to me. But even if that's not the case, your charter schools suck at educating kids. Not all of them. One or two, handful, they do a good job. But overall, when all charter schools are factored in, they're 11 points behind in, in you know, English proficiency. They're 20 points behind in math proficiency. That is not a successful plan. And for us to keep throwing money at this problem and thinking it's going to get better is not going to work. I would rather keep the money in the public school system where they have a better chance of educating the kids as opposed to continue to give money to charter schools and continue to see lower and lower scores. Because it sure seems like what is dragging the scores down across the board is not the public school system, it's the charter school system. You cannot keep insisting this is working when it's clear this is a failure. And whether it's basically people grifting the system and jamming as much money in their pocket and running out the door, or it's just they're in over their heads and they don't even know what the heck they're doing. Something is seriously wrong here. And for us to keep expecting to get a different result by continuing to give the charter schools extra money, well, you're not going to have success. The whole funding of education needs to change. I mean, we talked about this earlier this week in regards to that attempt by one or two of the counties to to get some of the the tax money into their counties for their schools. 
because they don't want to raise the taxes in their their schools because they're smaller rural schools. Undeniably, I think that the metro area schools, the inner city schools, and the rural schools have the same exact problem. The, 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 the funding system for the education in this state is broken, and it needs to be fixed. The problem is, is that no one really has the guts to look at the suburban schools where them being flush with cash gives these kids a real big advantage to everybody else. But unless we fix this problem, you're not going to have success. And it seems like for every one successful charter school, it seems like there's like 20 that are just god-awful. We, if you want to solve the problem, well, then let's stop making the same mistake over and over again and realize, well, maybe the charter schools are not the way to go. And I don't know where you go as far as alternative education aspects, but, yeah, I mean, that story from the reformer was stunning how bad the charter schools are. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. Let's have some fun. This beat is sick. I want to take a ride on your disco stick. Let's have some fun. This beat is sick. I want AM to take 950, a ride the progressive voice of Minnesota. Love me some Gaga. 952-946-6205. By the way, I'm also excited about seeing that Carol King musical. I'm going to go check that one out over at Chan Hassan. Oh, that's Yeah, that does sound. Yeah. She wrote so many. She... My Even God. a commercial. Oh, yeah. Carol King wrote that. Carol <laughs> King. Oh, my God. It's the, the amount of songs that she wrote is, is just stunning. Anyway, 952-946-6205. Did you go to caucus night last night at all? I did not have a chance to make it over. No. I got there. I got there. Had a good time in my caucus. Did you see the photos? I had uh, Secretary of State. Yeah, Steve you had Simon. some famous people out there. Well, Davis even and yeah. Representative Cheryl Yukin. Yeah. You know, just uh, love them both. Uh, it was good to see them. Uh, of course, I am now, my district has been moved into the Minnesota, the third district. I used to be with Ilhan Omar, but now I'm with <clears throat> Dean Phillips. Uh, and, uh, of course, there was a big presence for DFL State Senator Kelly Morrison, who is the front runner to succeed Phillips in the suburban third congressional district. It is a district that has been a solid Democratic vote here for a while. And so it's, it you know, it's kind of one of those things where the, you know, the, the you know, I think Kelly Morrison is going to be the the odds-on favorite to win the third district seat. But it does bring up an interesting point. If she does win, she has to retire her Senate seat, where the Democrats currently have a one-seat majority. Now, she won her seat. They had this. This is an Axios story. Um, she she would basically would trigger an automatic uh, re-election. She won in 2022 the state uh, the seat for the state senate for about 13 percentage points. That's not close. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, that's a pretty big ask. And got to remember something too. So if she were to re- to win and she has to resign the seat, and say a Republican has to w- win that seat, well, that's basically going to be a two year seat only. Before it's up for re-election. And on top of that, you're you're going to have a one-seat Republican thing where – so say you run a Republican like, well, I'm for abortion rights. Well, you're going to have a lot of times to prove it because I guarantee the Republican majority at that point would put that on the ballot and you would be forced – it would be – yeah, I, I don't know if that's the seat that's going to be the winner 
uh, seat uh, as well. I, I just I'm not sure if that's going to be the the path to victory that the Republicans would think it would be. But you know, it comes down to it. You got to find who the candidate is. The good news is there's a lot of great candidates in that district on the DFL side. So I'm feeling pretty confident. Uh, Native Roots Radio, I am awake. Stick around. The 5 o'clock hour is exceptional. Native Roots Radio coming up next. Have a good one. We're back on a Thursday. Till then, see ya.